Welcome to The Stretch. I'm Dr. John Mark Harrison, lead pastor at First Baptist Concord in Knoxville, Tennessee. In this leadership podcast, I have conversations about growing as a leader and living an inspiring life. When we stretch, we grow. So let's grow. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Stretch. Man, we're going to have an exciting uh, interview today as we talk about growing as a leader and living a life that makes an inspiring difference. And so uh, and so, I've got Chris Walker here with us today. Chris, yeah. yeah, man, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Chris is the FCA campus director at UT, University yep. of Tennessee. Yep, yep. Played ball there too? I did. Yeah, man. Oh, what years no. were, you, were, you, were you playing ball? 2007 to 2010. All right. So, 2007 yeah. to 10. Those were great years. Yeah, kind of uh, tumultuous, but I got it, you. Was, uh, it was fun. Uh, it's cool. Well, let's let's talk football for a minute, man. Yeah. I feel like we're, I mean, I was watching ESPN the other night and it was, you know, um, cornhole on. So, like, we're all oh desperate for something. Yeah, you know, I'm like, we're desperate for something. Take this off the TV. <laughs> right. Anything right now. So, let's talk ball for a little bit and tell us your journey to yeah. UT. Tell us about, you know, what that was like. Yeah, so uh, I wasn't a Tennessee fan growing up. My mom was a Florida fan. She's from Florida. So the only reason why I rooted for Tennessee growing up was because I didn't want her to be happy about anything with Florida. So uh, I rooted for Tennessee then. But outside of that, I really didn't. Even being from Memphis, I didn't have a love for Tennessee football. It was very foreign because we're six hours across the state. So there wasn't very much exposure to Tennessee being in Memphis, it was Ole Miss, it was Mississippi State, it was Arkansas, it was even Alabama and, and Auburn and different places like that. So, uh, but you know, Tennessee came in on the recruiting process with a bunch of the other ones and uh, just kind of stood out and made their their self known in a lot of the recruiting process and made it really personal. Getting to know obviously Coach Fulmer on a really deep level and in the assistants and the coaches that were going to be coaching me. So that was one of the things that I thought was really cool about Tennessee that made them stand out mm-hmm. was the fact that they put a major priority on me and and that yeah. felt good as a 17-year-old kid right. to hear Philip Fulmer, a national championship coach and very well-respected coach around the country say, hey, we want you at Tennessee. And so they also sold me on the, the home state kid type thing and, yeah. and being a part of a program that you get to represent the state that you're from. And so yeah. that was a, a big deal for me. Man, congratulations. That's cool. Yeah, that's a, a lot that's, of fun. That is a lot of fun. So talk about uh, favorite memory, like wearing the orange and white. Like what What was it? Yeah, I think I've got a few. I mean, uh, the first time I got a chance to run through the tee, I think it was against Southern Miss my freshman year. And uh, I'd heard a bunch about it. I'd heard, I'd seen it at, you know, games when I was in yeah. high school. And But when I was in the tunnel getting ready to run through the tee, it kind of like, you're here. Yeah. This is about to happen. And yeah. then when you nothing like it in the world, right? Yeah, that we moment. had like a little covering over our tunnel. Yeah. And then you get from underneath the covering and then you see 107,000 people in orange. It was just like breathtaking for me. And I think I was just kind of like looking around more than I was running. <laughs> um, but that was a, a very, very cool memory because it was the start of, of my career at Tennessee. And then later that year playing the SEC championship, mm-hmm. that was a like one of the most fun interactions I've ever had as a Tennessee volunteer because that's the goal is to get to Atlanta and play at the time in the dome uh, was something that we all were were working hard for and to be able to be there against LSU and run out of the the corner of the the stadium and see you know 80% Tennessee fans there was just incredibly uh, riveting and just seeing like man this is one of the best fan bases I think the best fan base in the country and so 
that was fun. And there are just many others that, that I could mention, but yeah. those two are the ones that stick out the most to me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that, man, you know, obviously love Tennessee, played Tennessee, but yeah. Vanderbilt's got a fond place in your heart, huh? Not at all. Um, they, I, I, there was a little bit of love for Vanderbilt because they were the first SEC school to offer me, and yeah. so I definitely gave them a lot of love early on. Yeah. Uh, some things transpired after I told them I wasn't coming to Vanderbilt, Uh-oh. and uh, there was a rival kid in, in my city that went to my rival high school that was committed to them, uh-huh. and they kind of played us against each other, and I was like, that's fine. And so, uh, and they just felt like they were a little bit more significant than what they actually are in football. So, oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, never lost to them, and we should never lose to them. Got it. Yeah. You, I, you have some similar feelings about Kentucky, right? Yeah. Did, don't did you lose ever to lose to either. Kentucky? Not at all. Oh, they're okay. they're the same with Vanderbilt. We don't lose to either of those guys, and we never should. That's great. I got it. All right. <laughs> well, I just wonder. I'm new, so I'm learning. You know, well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm experiencing all these for those the very first time. Those are the things time. that we should know as Tennessee we, football fans. All right, we all need to know these things. Yeah. We don't lose to Kentucky. Don't lose to Vanderbilt. Okay. Uh, that's a good word. That's a good word. Now, uh, man, those are cool experiences of yeah. just man hitting the tunnel, man yeah. running out SEC championship. Man, yeah. that's legit stuff. What about like on the field? Favorite play, favorite yeah. tackle. You got something you remember? Well, yeah. I mean, my junior year, we were playing down at Florida. Florida's the number one team in the country. Uh, our our coach at the time, Lane Kiffin, had said some things that kind of sparked the the rivalry for real when oh, he boy. when he got the job at Tennessee, talking yeah. about singing Rocky type all night long when we beat Florida in the swamp, and wow. we were like. Either this dude is a good coach or we're going to get our head beat in when we go down to Florida. <laughs> and so we found out that he was a really good coach. And uh, when we went down there, we were going down there to win the football game, even mm-hmm. though they had Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin and yeah. Aaron Hernandez and, like, just an incredible football team. Yeah. And uh, I got a chance to sack old Tebow twice. And, and uh, that was probably the best football game that I've ever played. Yeah. Um, to to that point in my career, so that was that was a lot of fun. That's really neat, man. Yeah. Good memories down there, and that was down that was at the swamp. Yeah, that down, was down in the swamp, the hottest game. Yeah, man, that I'd ever played in. Yeah. it was like when it kicked off at three thirty on CBS. It was like ninety nine degrees. Ooh. I was like, yeah, let's hurry up and get this thing over with. <laughs> a little Gatorade, yeah, All a right. little bit. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, man. That's good. Well, look. I think we're all missing uh, sports and ball and everything yeah. else. Uh, what do you think about this fall? Like, talk to us about what you're seeing. I mean, you're out there yeah. with FCA. You're out there with the guys and yeah. uh, around it. So give us some inside track, man. How are you excited about this fall? I'm excited. I really am. I think that uh, Coach Pruitt and his staff have done an incredible job, and people are being able to see that on the recruiting trail right now. Yeah. Uh, but more than that, they've just got a bunch of guys that are bought into – being Tennessee, yeah. and I think that's something that we lost after Coach Fulmer uh, got fired. I think that was something that we lost is what it is to be Tennessee. Mm. And I think Coach Pruitt, he's a ball coach. He loves his guys. He loves football. And he's instilling back in them that this is a powerhouse football program. This yeah. just isn't you know, another football program. Mm. This is the program. Yeah. And so those guys are getting that mindset back and cool. understanding that they're at Tennessee. And so, uh, you know, even with – COVID happening right now and and all the things that are going on, they're kind of severely restricted with what they can and can't do over there. But I know for a fact that those guys are working uh, hard so that when we, if we get on the field, when we get on the field, whatever that may be, that they are ready to prove even more that last year was just the beginning of what was going to start to build into a really good program again. 
Man, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, it could be really cool. I'm excited. Got yeah. a bunch of really good players, a bunch of really good guys that, that awesome. want to compete and play ball. So it's that's good. fun. Yeah. Well, man, th- th- we could talk football for a long time, but yeah. let's talk about what the Lord's done in your life. I mean, God's obviously in a deep work in your life. Yeah. And so why don't you just talk about how you came to faith and called to ministry to yeah. talk about what, what God's done in you. Yeah. So uh, growing up in Memphis, growing up in the South, obviously, you know, Christianity and, and being a believer is almost like uh, breathing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's just part of what you do. Uh, my family was not that way. Uh, we went to church on the on the big days, on Easter and on Christmas and those things. Yeah. Uh, but a relationship with Jesus was not one of the things that we thought was very important. You know what I mean? Sports was our God. My Got mom it. was a basketball coach. My older brother, my younger sister, myself, we all played ball. And so Sundays were for traveling to traveling from um, just travel ball tournaments. Yeah. And so that wasn't a part of our life. I got saved in that word that we used. I got saved when I was eight years old. Mm. That was just because I, I wanted fire insurance and yeah. I didn't want to go to hell. Mm. And my mom was pinching me and kicking me and told me I need to go down there. So I did. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, God had no bearing in my life. Mm. Um, and so... There's a few things that happened in, in my life leading to uh, me coming to know the Lord. I had a best friend that passed away my junior year of high school. Wow. And I think that that was a part of, as crazy as it may sound, I think that was a part of the the start of mm. the Lord calling me to himself. Yeah. And ended up going to Tennessee, obviously, and got involved with FCA at Tennessee. There was a chaplain that was employed by FCA there at Tennessee named James Mitchell. And he basically put his arm around me and said, you're going to get in this Bible and it's going to change your life. Wow. And I said, okay. So uh, we end up going to a, a retreat that we do even to this day with FCA. It's college students from all across the state that have FCA uh, programs on their campus. And we come together for a weekend just to hear the word of God and, and play sports and be together with other athletes and students that were in the same position that we were. And I remember being there. And the speaker was Brian Loritz. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember him starting to talk about Jesus. And I'd heard everything about Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. being I was dangerous enough in the faith to know all the little cute stories and all that kind of stuff. And But the way Brian started talking about Jesus to me was something that I'd never heard before. Wow. Uh, he started to debunk the blonde-haired, blue-eyed white guy, mm. uh, to be honest. And... My drawback with Christianity to that point was that Jesus has nothing to do with a kid from the inner city of Memphis. Wow. That that Jesus doesn't relate with me. Mm. And so I don't really want any part of that yeah. because you don't understand where we come from. Right. You don't understand what we've gone through. And so the way that Brian started talking about Jesus in that moment, I said, if this is who Jesus actually is, mm-hmm. I can sign on for that Jesus. I can do that one. Yeah. Um, and so he just kept talking. I kept beginning, you know, the spirit just kept pushing more and more. This is this yeah. is who Jesus is. And I couldn't deny it. I couldn't deny the fact that this is somebody that I wanted to follow. Yeah. And so February 8, 2008 was when I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, that was an incredible moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the start of some really cool things. It was the start of some really hard things. But I know that, you know, my time at Tennessee... It wasn't what I thought it would be. I had three head coaches in four years. I had three knee surgeries on one knee in four years. I had, you know, five string coaches, four position coaches in my four years at Tennessee. So to look at that from a worldly perspective, it was a failure, Mm. you know, Um, didn't 
get to the SEC championship again after my freshman year. We didn't win a national championship, which those are all the expectations coming right. in. I wanted to right. be an All-American. I wanted to be this. I wanted to be that. But as the world that I was living in was up and down, my relationship with the Lord was the only thing that was constant in my life. Mm-hmm. And so my relationship with the Lord was what got me through my time at Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, you know, being a part of SCA on campus, being a spiritual leader on campus and uh, seeing how FCA impacted my life and my teammates' lives and other athletes on campus life, I was like, maybe this could be me one day. Yeah. And that was probably my sophomore, junior year. I was like, I could see myself doing this. And so I believe that that was when I really understood that this is something that I wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, with my life. So, you know, being able to come out of being cut by the Baltimore Ravens, getting a call from somebody that w- that was a board member for SCA down in Chattanooga and said, hey, what do you think about coming on staff with SCA here at UTC? And I hung up on her, basically. I was like, no, nah, that's not what I want to do. I wanted to live the American dream yeah. and uh, started reading the book Radical. Mm-hmm. And it just basically said, what if the American dream is not for you? And what yeah. if that's not what God has for you? And I was like, hmm, interesting. So. Wow. We had another conversation about FCA in Chattanooga, and she said, pray about it. Tell me what you get. And I tell people, be careful what you pray for, yeah. because I prayed about it for a week, and the Lord said, this is where I want you. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a city that I had no you know, understanding of, didn't know how to spell Chattanooga uh, wow. to begin with, <laughs> um, but I was going into full-time ministry as a 22-year-old, yeah. and I was terrified um, and basically just said, Lord, if you don't do this, it's not going to get done. And mm-hmm. so... That was it. That was how I got into ministry and and came to know the Lord, and it it was a wild ride for those few years. Man, that's exciting. You know, I was uh, thinking when you were talking, people don't realize the role that you play in the lives of the athletes at UT. Every one of them come in thinking they're going to be the All-American. Every one of them are first-round draft picks in their head. Every one of them, you know, have always been told they're the best. Yep. You know, and that no one would ever be able to beat with them, compete with them. Yeah. And sometimes they get there and it doesn't work out that way. Yeah. They don't have, they don't make the starting spot. They yeah. kind of get washed out in the system, or and and you're there to pick up the pieces. Yeah, how absolutely. do you how do you how do you help people who really kind of want to make a lot of their, with their life? Yeah. How, how do you help them get started and take that step in leadership and take yeah. that even if it's not what they thought it was going to be? Yeah, I think that we. And one of the things that I had to work out in myself was the understanding that maybe that's not for me. Mm. Um, I know that, you know, we all come into college thinking that we're all going to play in the NFL. We all think that we're going to be the All-American, the All-SEC. We're going to win a a conference title. We're going to win a national title. Those things are what we all think that are going to happen. The actuality of that actually happening is not very very big. You know what I mean? There's Mm -hmm. only... One conference champion in the Southeastern Conference. There's only one national champion. Uh, there are a handful of all SEC guys. There's a handful of of all Americans. And so, I think being able to take a step back and say, "Okay, if I don't get there, is my life over?" Yeah. No, it's not. Right. And I think having a perspective of if that happens, great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the first thing that you have to get to is understanding that uh, God made you for so much more. And I think that's one of the things that I have to start with with those guys is helping them understand, yes, right now you are a football player at the University of Tennessee. Yes, right now you're a basketball player or a baseball player at the University of Tennessee. But that's not who God created you to be. That's just something that you do. Um, And that was a big-time shift for me was Mm -hmm. I realized football was just what I did, not who I am. And so 
I think that if we can get to that point and understand yeah. and put sports in their rightful place in their perspective of this is what I do. Yeah. Uh, it's not who I am. I think we can move to a better place of helping them understand, okay, how do I lead out of this? How yeah. do I help my teammates understand? How do I myself continue to to understand that if this doesn't work out the way that I want it, right. that doesn't mean I'm a failure in life. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just right perspective. Yeah, it's, man, that's great. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're doing that on a college campus with yeah. collegiate athletes, you know, at, um, from the church side, I'm doing that with business leaders who, yeah. you know I mean? They've worked their lives. Let's talk about right now in this crisis moment, they've yeah. worked their entire lives to build this company mm-hmm. to watch it vaporize in just a couple months. Yeah. I mean, and so there's some significant, uh, struggle of yeah. like, who am I? Mm-hmm. What is my identity? And, yeah. and that's what you discovered and what I discovered and what we hope we're communicating to those that will listen to us is, right. man, our identity has got to be Christ and Christ alone. That's it. Yeah. Because if we put our hope in things that were never meant to bring us hope or satisfaction or joy, at the end of the day, there's going to come a time where for football, it's going to stop. Yeah. Uh, for a business leader, there's going to come a time where your business isn't the best out there right. or things aren't going as well. And if you put your life and the significance of your life on a sport or on a business or yeah. on a relationship, yeah, those things are going to fail you. That's and it. you will be sitting here like I've seen a lot of teammates and a lot of people even during this time of who am I? What do I do? Where do I go? Yeah. I don't know who I am. Right. It's because you put your hope in something that mm-hmm. was never meant to satisfy you. So, right. you know, I was thinking about too, how, um, you know, in our church, we've got all generations. Yeah. And for football guys or for, you know, college athletes or, you know, baseball players who yeah. have a short window, yeah. they think a lot of times, man, I want to live this life that everybody wants to be me yeah. for this season. And I think business leaders do that too. Yeah. You know, we think, man, if I make a lot of money, people are going to want to be like me. But I found uh, the, the, the men and women that I'm like, man, they really inspire me in their later years. Yeah. I don't have a clue what they did for for to make an income. Yeah. I don't have a clue what they did to put food on their table. Yeah. You just see how they live their life. Yeah. And that's what inspires. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I'm hopeful, man, that that we can build men and women just like that. So yeah. um all right, so let's let's talk more about about leadership, you know, yeah. about how you've been inspired in that. And so um who who do you look up to for inspiration yeah. and mentorship? There's a lot. Um, I think first and foremost is my mom. You know what I mean? My mom is a woman that raised three uh, very young black kids in the city of Memphis by herself. Mm -hmm. And when I think about strength, when I think about uh, wisdom and humility and all these different things that you can Mm -hmm. say, I think about my mom Um, because not once did she allow us to let our circumstances define who we are and what we were going to be. Yeah. Uh, she never let those things happen. And so my mom has been the the first source of, of all my inspiration because yeah. of who she is and how she handles her business and mm-hmm. uh, how she's so strong. And so she's one of them. And then I've just had mentors throughout the years that have just loved me, coaches um, that have played a big role in my life. There's one that was my first coach ever wow. in Memphis. And I talk to him I, I, every Father's Day. I text mm-hmm. him and tell him, Thank you for loving me at yeah. that time yeah. uh, when I was a young kid that was reeling because I didn't have a father in my life. You were that for me. Yeah. And he played a huge li- uh, role in my life as well as my my middle school basketball coach and yeah. then my high school football and basketball coaches. Those guys were incredible for me, yeah. uh, just being able to teach me how to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I got to Tennessee, having James Mitchell here and Roger Woods here and those guys that 
taught me what it looked like to follow Jesus um, and be a a young black man in this world. I think that that helped a ton. Uh, And even now just having uh, pastors in this city that are people that, that I can look to for, for inspiration and for wisdom and all types of things. So, man, that's, that's great. So, and I'm sure you see it in a lot of these folks that have kind of invested in you and inspire you, but but what, what would you say like one characteristic that, every leader should possess. I mean, you see it in guys in the sports, but you also see it in those that have invested in you. Like what's a characteristic that says a common characteristic that every, every leader needs to possess. I think that the, the one that I can think about the most is humility. Mm. Uh, I think that out of humility, you get a bunch of other things. And so if we can come to the table and we can look at people as people, um, if we can come to the table and consider others more significant than ourselves, which a lot of us think a lot about ourselves, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it takes a little bit of a lot of bit of humility for mm-hmm. us to come to the table and say, "I'm actually going to consider you more yeah. significant than myself because I care about where we're going and what we're about to do together." Yeah. And I think that if we can get to that point as leaders, um, I think that the the most beautiful thing about leaders that I've been around is their humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have to feel right all the time. They don't have to have all the answers all the time. They yeah. don't have to be perfect. Uh, there's a sense of humility that says, you know what? I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't have everything together. I don't have every answer. Uh, I'm an imperfect human. Yeah. And I think that we can get there yeah. and understand that we're imperfect and Christ is perfect. And I think we'll be fine. Amen. And bro, I think, you know, from my perspective, it seems like so much of the tension and turmoil we see in our country. Uh, what you just shared is a good word for that too, yeah, man. Like yeah. if we can just, man, think, consider others before ourselves. That's it. We can see a lot come together. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, seems so simple, mm-hmm. but in the world that we are in, uh, a sinful world, a wicked world, uh, yeah. that's fallen and depraved. I think that that's something that, uh, is very few and far between is the ability to consider others more significant than ourselves. Yeah. Uh, that's hard to hear. Mm-hmm. That's hard to, to come to grips with, but that's the truth of where we are. That's right. And I think that if we want to, especially in the time that we're in with, with racial tension and all that kind of stuff, if we want to move the needle at all, yeah. we have to consider others more significant than ourselves yeah. and be able to, on both sides, shut up and listen yeah, and man. hear experience and, yeah. And be able to say, okay, although I don't understand your experience, I care about you. Yeah. And that's what's going to push me forward and, and move me forward into our relationship. Man, that's really good, bro. That's that's a great challenge for every one of us. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about, um, you know, as you're growing as a leader, mm-hmm. you know, as we're pursuing these things even together, like what are some things that you're doing to continue to grow as a leader? Yeah. I think one of the things that we get to as leaders is sometimes we feel like we got to talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And some of the leaders that I've been around, I'll be coming to them, wanting them to talk a lot, and they'll just listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I've picked up over the years. I, as a young leader, I felt like I had to talk a lot. And I had to have the solution to everything. I had to give my opinion on everything. But as I've grown, um, I found you can find out a lot yeah. from just sitting and listening yeah. um, about people's stories, about what they're actually going through, about their fears, about their uh, desires, all yeah. those different things. And so one of the things, even in a place right now, again, with racial tension, where people are wanting me to use my voice to talk 
to do all these things, I really do want to listen. Yeah. I want to listen to how people got to where they are, mm-hmm. uh, not only in the faith, but with understanding, you know, the reality of racial tension in America. Yeah. I want to listen where they want me to talk to them. I'm asking questions so that I can listen yeah. to them and gain perspective for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm doing. I'm listening. Um, I'm always trying to learn. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that as leaders we always should be doing. Mm-hmm. I love listening to other leaders. I love yeah. talking to other leaders because I'm 31. Yeah. I'm, I'm a relatively young dude. At least I would like to think so. Um, <laughs> I'm 31, and and I know that there are people that have lived more life than me, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to just glean wisdom from them yeah. and sit and say, okay, right. what can you help me with? So I think a lot of what I'm learning right now is listen even more, yeah. uh, learn even more, uh, and continue just to love in an extreme way mm-hmm. uh, where we're in a place that there's a lack of love right yeah. now. And I think that I think the way that I'm going to be able to help people in my circle that are in my sphere of influence is that I will be able to show the love of Jesus in a, an extreme way that yeah. they will be like, OK, this is a world that doesn't show that. But you are. And it's not about me. It's yeah. about the the Jesus that's inside of me. So those are a couple of things that I'm doing. Man, I think that's incredibly wise, you know, for all of us. But but to all right, listen and love, take yeah. things a little slow. Everybody yeah. wants to react so much yeah, right now. Absolutely. Take it a little slow and just... Take a step back. Yeah, play that a little bit. Shut up. Yeah. Learn a little bit. Yeah. And then just love people. There you go. That's it. That's great, man. All right, last question, bro. And I've been asking everybody this as we've okay. had this. And bro, I enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, Thanks for, for helping us today and being a part of this. But, but man, when you're at the end of the run, right? You know, end of the run, you've run the race that God's put before you. Yeah. What do you feel like or what are you hoping your legacy will be? What... You know, inspire us. Like, what, what are what are you trying? Like, all right, man. Like, this is what it is. If yeah. I can do finish well here, obviously, you want to leave a legacy that shows Jesus. Yeah. Um, I don't want people to. The first thing that they hear about Chris Walker is that he was a former football player at the University of Tennessee. Yeah, that's the last thing I actually want them mm-hmm. to say about me when my time is done here. I want them to say that he was a man after God's own heart. Yeah. Um, he was a man that actually desired for real change in mm. the world that we lived. Mm. And he was going to actively go out and try to get that done for people. Yeah. Um, but I think that more than, you know, most, I want to be somebody that they say he loved people well. That's good. Um, that's one thing that I that I hold very, very highly is that I want to try to love people well. Yeah. I want to give people the space to say I've never been loved like this by somebody and I didn't know what love could look like from a human being. Um, and Chris showed me that. Yeah. And it obviously it wasn't because of him. And again, it points back to Jesus, but he was able to love me in a way in a tough time where I was very difficult to love. Mm. And he stayed there with me. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that I would love for people to say. Yeah, man, that's great. Yeah. Thanks for your time today, man. Yeah, it's been super encouraging. Thanks for your ministry Absolutely. and your work there. Uh, at UT and excited excited about the future I appreciate you man thanks for joining us today have a great day